We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Friends, welcome back to Dateable. We are at almost the end of the year and really trying to wrap up all of the dating stuff that's been happening this year. There's just like always new things happening like this. Did you see? Oh, I meant to ask you, Julie. There was an article that came out in the New York Times about why less women want to get married because of the way dating is right now. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to discuss in a future episode, but the, it's in a New York times opinion article. Why aren't more people marrying? Ask women what dating is like. Interesting. I definitely want to read that. There was also this article that was sent by one of our former guests, Inez throwback to oh. oh i don't even know what season it was it was when we had Inez is in her 70s and her best friend amanda was in her 30s and we talked about like dating at different life stages and she sent me this article how like gen z is basically rejecting dating apps completely mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting because i mean we hear so much from our listeners too how like people are just frustrated But I guess my question is like, what's the alternative? Because I feel like people always do this, like I'm getting off apps and then nothing happens. And then like a month later, like I'm back on the app. Well, I think the alternative is LinkedIn (laughs) or or Instagram or whatever. Like people don't want dating apps, but they'll make everything else into a dating app. Right. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, that's the key. It's kind of like singles events, right? They never work because they're singles events. That being said, I'm clearly pro dating app. I don't want to say they never work, but I can I understand the frustration too. I just think dating apps need a 2.0. The fact they haven't been refreshed really, or maybe a 3.0, I guess Tinder swipe was a 2.0. But like the fact that they're like pretty much the same since 2012 when Tinder came out, they need a refresh. Yeah. And also Gen Z growing up with dating apps. I think they're just like, there's got to be a different way. You know, it's like not our generation where we feel like dating apps really changed the dating culture. That's a good point. But if you grew up with it, like, you know, 
It is crazy, though, thinking about it. Like, I don't know about you, UA, but like when I first like started using dating apps, I remember just being like, oh, this is changing the game because it was so hard, I feel like, to meet people in person. Like, it was just like such a like a, the diamond in the rough that you just had to be lucky that you would encounter someone. And I still think it's like that today. We just like over glamorize it because we're sick of dating apps. But I remember like so many nights out that I would either meet no one or I would meet someone that was like 10 years younger than me. That was just like not a viable prospect in the slightest. Or you meet someone who's unavailable, married, gay. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know if they're in the market yeah. to date. But dating apps make sure that most of the people on the apps are single and available and ready to date. That is a difference. But I do find that with in-person, when you meet someone in real life, you're not as anxious about thinking about like who's next, yeah. right? I think with app dating, you swipe, you match, you're like, who's next? Who am I going to match with next? Well, I remember like when I met my ex in person, like I met him at this event that I threw with his brother because mm -hmm. we were friends. That's how I met him. And I just remember like not even thinking about him. Like I just like, I remember like thinking mm -hmm. he was like attractive when I saw him, but I was just kind of doing my thing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, does this guy like me? Because he's now asking, like, walk me home. And I'm just like, where did this come from? Like, you're just not like, so yep. like caught up in it. And I think you end up attracting someone when you're just being yourself and not like in that date mode. So I think there is some definite merits to it, too. But there has to be a balance of both. Why not yeah. use the resources that you have? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, I actually had this conversation with one of our moderators, Jason, because I met up with him for drinks recently. And it was like, it doesn't need to be so either or like for whatever reason, we're like, we mm -hmm. either need to be on the apps or we must be meeting people in real life. It's just like, be on the apps, meet people in real life. Like it's not as complicated as we make it for whatever reason. Yeah, it's not a grand gesture. I've had friends being like, I'm ready to reinstall the apps. <laughs> Is that the equivalent of someone quitting social media by writing a social media yes, post? It <laughs> you is. know, it's like, does it have to be such grand gesture? Just have it be part of your life. It's not like it, it doesn't, you're not making a point by either being on the apps or not on the apps. Right. And speaking of not growing up with dating apps, our guest for this episode, Madison Perry, wrote a book about dating before dating apps. Like if you've ever yeah. wondered what dating was like <laughs> before dating apps and going out into the wild and organic dating, this is the book. He wrote this a, a while ago. Let me see. I'm trying to figure out like the, the year that it came out 2017 it's called available a memoir of heartbreak hookups love and brunch and so in this book he talks about basically his journey to finding his now wife and if dating apps were available then i would imagine that his dating life would have been even more uh, fascinating and diversified he dated 30 different women in one year i think that that's what the book really depicts but imagine if he was on dating apps he probably would have like dated 100 women oh yeah i feel like 30 people like you could go through 30 people in like two months easily yeah yeah <laughs> i'm so glad that we had him back 
because I feel like he was one of our, like, one of the episodes that we did early on that we were just like, wow, never thought about dating this way. Like, I remember we had him come to your studio apartment. Yep. This was back in the day. His friend came also. Brad. His friend Brad came. It would, like, chime in here and there. And then we all went to brunch after. And I realized I went to college yes. with the two of them. We didn't know each other in college, but we went to the same college. And I think like having Madison back this other time, I love this like progression following guests because you can really see how much has changed in their lives. I mean, that's really what we're talking about today is like, he's now a father, a husband. He's in a totally different place than he was as like a single person navigating dating. And even when we met him, he had met his wife by then, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, kind of just starting out their journey. And it just really shows you that when you're able to look back at everything in hindsight, it all makes sense. But when you're in the thick of it, it could feel like, oh my God, things are not going my way. Or will I ever meet this person? Will things ever fall into place? And I know for myself too, if I can now see that like every person I dated, there was a reason I dated them. And there's also a reason it didn't work out. And it also just shows you that people come with a past. If you met Madison today, you yeah. would say he's a loyal married man with kids. But he also comes with this now very public past because of his book. And in the book, you'll <laughs> see that he probably broke a few hearts along the way, or maybe was not yeah. the best person to someone along the way. Not to always think that the person who comes to you today is like this full package and they don't have this speckled past. Everybody comes with something because that is part of their discovery process. It's not to excuse asshole behavior, but the question is mm -hmm. always like, do people learn from the asshole behavior? Yeah. It's also a reminder to, I've been here before, that you see people, especially social media makes this just too easy. It's like you see people with the perfect life yeah. or like the holiday cards. I feel like this time of year, that could be triggering for people. Or even if it's not triggering, like it's easy to fall into this thought of like, oh, it was just so easy for them. Like they have this great family and, you know, caring partner, but it's like they probably went through struggles themselves along the way and are probably still going through struggles that are not captured through a holiday card. Speaking of holiday cards, should we get on this topic? Because I... Let's do it. Starting to think <laughs> that this tradition may be a little bit antiquated. And I'm sorry for any of my friends who listen, who've sent cards. I love seeing photos. I just don't know what to do with your cards. No. I don't. Like, if you send a card that has an update about your life, that's awesome. But that could also have been email or text. And I love seeing pictures of your family. I see that on Instagram or Facebook as well. So I don't really understand this tradition. And I don't know if I will eventually partake in the tradition, but it means, is this just like an antiquated tradition that we should think of a better way to do this without killing trees? I mean, I've felt this way for years. I feel terrible when I throw them out, but I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm not going <laughs> to like keep this, right? I mean, I, I keep some, like I have like my partner's brother's family like on our fridge and just keep that year round because it's nice to like see them. Like my family doesn't send Christmas cards or holiday cards at all. So like I don't have that. If my family did, I would keep it too. I think that is nice, but like I can't like just keep like every last person's like <laughs> my fridge would be completely 
completely covered if I did that. So here, this is the question for all of our friends, because I'm not saying don't send the cards. I do enjoy getting the cards. It's always a pleasant surprise when I open it and I see your faces. But would you be offended if I threw away your card after enjoying it for those moments? Like five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Would you prefer that I store it somewhere or do you prefer that I display it somewhere? That is a question. I would like to know the intention and what would offend you less because my intention is to enjoy it and to acknowledge your beautiful families and the beautiful cards you send, but I also don't feel the need to display it or store it. I hope that's okay. Well, this was the video I sent you, A. There was this TikTok video with Trey Kennedy, who's this comedian who's hilarious. And it was basically like what people think happens when you open their card. And he was just like, (laughs) you know, really building up like, oh my God, like my my life is stopping because I got this card. Just like really like gabbing about like every update (laughs) and every photo. And it's like, I think everyone knows that like people aren't reacting that way. I mean, obviously this was parody, but I do think about them like people do spend the time to like put this together and make it I don't want to just like throw it out but at the same time they have to know that like this isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread that I'm opening right yeah and I feel bad because I had a friend tell me I've been scrambling I just got to my holiday cards everyone's going to be getting my holiday cards late this year and I'm like, like no one cares keeping track no I don't remember my one pet peeve is sometimes I'll get messages from people like asking my address and I'm like my last text with you was like a year ago of you asking me my address it's like, I shouldn't be on your list anymore I won't be offended if you drop me if it will make it your life easier it's okay you know what do you think about baby announcements do you like getting those in the mail? I think it all, at least for me, it all comes down to what is my relationship with this person. If it is like a close Mm. friend, someone that I am like, is I consider like family to me or family, of course I like getting it and seeing them. But if I'm just getting it from people I never talk to, it's like, I don't need to, I don't need to be on that mailing list. Yeah. Again, for me, it's like, I don't mind getting them. When I see them, when I open up your announcements and your cards, it's wonderful. I want to celebrate with you. I just don't know what to do with it after. And I've been trying to be very egalitarian about all the cards. So I either throw all of them away or I store all of them (laughs) because I feel bad if I throw away some and store others. So that's what I've been doing with all of the baby announcements too. I've just been throwing them away. Yeah, I guess I just, I do keep some and toss others. Hopefully that the people I toss will never come to my house anyways. So it's okay. But I don't know, like I do kind of like, okay, like my family is not a holiday sender cards. Like I think that's why it's so foreign to me too. It's just something I never grew up with. So like I get if it's like a, a tradition for your family. I don't know you if your family did it. No. No. I think that's probably why we have this feeling, right? I will say, I'm like, now I need to go print a photo of my niece because I want to see her photo every day. And I'm just like, oh, it would have been nice to have a card, you know, because now I have to go do it myself. Not saying that, you know, I don't want to 
I know my sister-in-law's listening. I don't want to say like you have to send a card. I'm not trying to say that. But I do think, I guess the positive is where I'm going here is it is nice for like close people that you don't have to like go and do that, right? It's like done for you. So maybe there should be an opt out or an (laughs) opt in for everybody you can. People would be so offended if you're like, if someone's like messages you, they're like, hey, Julie, just wanted to confirm your address. And I'm like, you know, I'm opting out this year. Like that would be terrible. <laughs> okay, maybe it's you get you get a choice. You get a choice of either a paper physical card or an emailed card and you can opt into one or the other. Cuz I think that'd be nice. Well, that would be better for the environment. Right? And yeah. I'm still I'm still open to receiving your announcements. I'm still wanting to celebrating with you, but I just don't need the physical card. So UA, I forgot to tell you, but our cards are going to be going out next week. <laughs> <laughs> When I say our uh, card, I mean mine and UA's <laughs> card. <laughs> yeah, you're you. But see, that's a card. Maybe because I'm part of this equation, but that's a card I would keep. <laughs> I would happily display that. This is the problem right here. Is everyone likes the ones that are related to them, right? And they can't see that other people True. probably don't care. Although we do have a really good card that I put together virtually a few years ago. I only sent it to UA as a joke because we had a very lesbian photo shoot that we did. So it was filled with that. So my favorite. We should have sent out baby announcements. I think that, again, even if I was not part of that, I would keep that card. That's a great card. It's still not too late for something that's in the hopper, right? (laughs) I sent out cards, what, like 15 years ago as a single woman because I thought it it was funny. I love that. I still have friends telling me me that they still have the card. So I feel bad. I wish I knew you then. (laughs) (laughs) It was a pretty epic card. Uh, not not going to lie. I had a full photo shoot. I wore a Santa hat. I did the whole shebang and I sent it out to a bunch of friends. But now looking back, like I still don't understand cards. I think that's just what I'm trying to say. I don't know. I'm over it. Actually, the way to do it is it needs to be funny in some way. Yes. Our friend Zara, I'll give her a shout out. Her cards are amazing. She had one. I forget what um, art it imitated. But you know, like that one, I'm like going to butcher this, but it's like the guy and the girl and they're just like staring like the death uh-huh. stare. And it's like the guy's like holding a pitchfork. It's oh, a very yes. famous what painting. What is that painting? I'm totally butchering this. Oh, the American Gothic painting. Yes. yes. American yes. Gothic. So it's it's the two of them posed that way. This is joy under it. This is epic. This is amazing. I would happily display that card. Okay, so here it is. Here it is. All of our friends listening, just like dick pics, okay? Dick pics and your holiday cards go in the same category. They are sent without consent, and the other person receiving is like, oh, <laughs> A dick pic. Oh, a holiday card. I was not expecting this. But for your dick pics to be um, happily received or for your holiday cards to be happily displayed, make it interesting. We've always said, decorate your dicks, make them more interesting, like hold it up to a nice scenery. Just don't have like the just a raw dick. We don't want to see just a raw dick. Make it interesting. Same with your holiday cards. Make it creative and funny and interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's like 
like we, oh what Zara God. did or like maybe make it hologram. I, yes, that's it. That's the challenge. There's so many things you could do. The takeaway here is that holiday cards are like dick pics. That's what I'm getting from That this. is the takeaway. I'm glad that that message came through loud and clear. Oh my God. Wow. Well, it's not another year if we don't do a holiday card rant. So I'm glad <laughs> I don't even know out. how we got here, but we got here and now we're done. <laughs> we got here. We got here. But yeah, I just I can't believe again, we're at the end of the year. It's the holidays. I'm really excited just to like unwind. I'm going to Oklahoma mm-hmm. for the holidays. So that will be fun. And I like keep wanting to say like sweet home at Oklahoma, no, but it's sweet home no. Alabama. I don't know why that like plays Yeah, in totally my mind. different states. Not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, excited to, you know, maybe be in snow. We'll see. Oh, does we'll it see. snow? It does snow there, oh, yeah. Exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you know once I'm actually in it how I feel, because I think last year it was like negative degrees there oh. during Christmas. So we'll see. Yeah, I can't fathom how cold it would be. I'll be in Sedona after Christmas, and it's going to be 55, and I'm already freaking out. <laughs> this feels very cold to me. Well, Sedona will be amazing. Can't wait to hear about that. And for all of our listeners, we hope that you have a great holiday season, whatever holidays you celebrate. Yeah, a new year. We're getting there. And we have a really great episode next week that's planned of just the year and reflection. So hopefully you can take some time out of your holiday schedule and tune in for that. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast is our handle. You can email us with I don't know, whatever you want. <laughs> email us your holiday cards. How about that? Yes. You email us hello at datablepodcast.com. You'd actually, from our listeners, I'd be happy to receive oh my God. emailed virtual cards. We should have a contest Please. in our Datable Facebook group, which is now called BDE. Big Dateable Energy, a group Hell by the yeah. Dateable Podcast. I was so happy to see like this resurgence of people. Everyone was really digging the the new name and thought it was hilarious. So we are done with love in the time of Corona. We're putting Corona behind us and we're moving into a new era. So if you're not <laughs> in the Facebook group yet, join it and maybe we'll have a holiday contest. We'll see. Love it. Okay. Well, last but not least, we're going to ask one last time, the holiday gift that keeps giving. Leave us a rating and review. Five stars, please. And, you know, maybe put a little tagline of what you'd put on your holiday card or even yay or nay. Are you pro holiday cards? Are you against them? Leave us a little tidbit there and... We will be back with Brunch Talk also for season 18. Can't believe we're on season 18. I say that every time. But in the off season, we will be re-airing some of our best of Brunch Talks. But that doesn't mean that you can't get your questions in. So put them in your reviews, get bumped up in line or send an email if you would like to. If you don't want to be public with your question and your review, leave us a review, send us an email, just tell us you did it. We'll still bump you up. We just need that review. So (laughs) thanks in advance. And yeah, we're excited to come back with Brunch Talk in the new year. Okay, well, before we keep going, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of 
like THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Okay, let's hear it from Madison. We love having past guests back because at the time of interviewing them, they're at a different season in life. And then a few years or many years later, we get to catch up and get an update on their life. So this guest for us today is so special to me because we went to high school together. (laughs) We got Madison Perry back. We went to high school in Fort Collins, Colorado. That's how we met. And he's originally from Colorado, now lives in LA, very close to me. And he's been in LA for 12 years. He's 42 years old. And last time we talked to Madison was in 2016 when we were fucking babies. And this is season two, episode 15. I can't get over that. (laughs) (laughs) Love, Sex, and Burning Man with Madison Perry. And the reason why it's titled that is because at the time he released his book called Available, a memoir of heartbreak, hookups, love, and brunch where he shared his dating experience as a 30-something nice guy, serial monogamous, who decided to intentionally be single for a full year to experience all the failed pickup lines, uncomfortable courtships, awkward texts, and self-discovery that comes with modern dating. And at the end of it, he reconnected with a college friend who is now his wife, who I met the other month, like a few months ago. I ran into Madison in my neighborhood with his wife and kids and his dad. So I got to meet the whole family. Welcome, Madison. We're so happy to have you back. Thank you. It's fun to be back under a a very different life circumstance. That's for sure. (laughs) You know, now in retrospect that we brought up 2016, I think about that so long ago. What do you think was getting in the way of you finding the relationship that you wanted back then? 
back then or in my 20s, I was having a lot of girlfriends and they were, those relationships were ending, which isn't a bad thing when you're in your 20s necessarily. But I was definitely getting into things too quickly. I think I would associate attraction, connection with having a lot of meaning in the long term. And then once I was in a relationship, I'd be very dedicated into it and stay into it too. Mm-hmm long. And sometimes that took the form of me wanting to break up with someone for a while, but being afraid to do it. And sometimes it took the form of me holding on to something that in retrospect, it was clear my partner did not, was not as invested as I was. And I'd talked them into sticking around for a while when I should have accepted the truth earlier. So I'm very happy with where I ended up and now happily married for 10 years. We just had our 10 year anniversary and have two kids. So it all worked out in the end, but there was probably more struggle and pain in some early relationships because of going too fast at the beginning and sticking around too long at the end. Well, last time we talked to you and like the catalyst for your book was that big breakup with who you called the manic pixie dream girl. And that's what (laughs) prompted that year off to really be single. Knowing what you know now, like why do you think that relationship would have never worked for the long haul? I think from the beginning, there was some fundamental compatibility issues that probably should have been red flags for a long-term relationship. But It was very exciting and like we were very in love and very attracted to each other. You know, I don't like to discount the whole thing. I was very interested in being with that person in the moment. Mm -hmm. But hopefully the thing I learned and that I found with my wife is to not be excited about incompatibility issues. I think different than me personality wise and what kind of lifestyle Mm. wanted was an exciting thing for me when I was younger. I'm sort of a steady, maybe kind of stoic person, reliable. And so some of the people I dated were unreliable sounds bad, but just like they were more wild and exciting. They would do things Mm. off the cuff more. They were less afraid of, of things. So they're not necessarily bad traits. And I was attracted to them, but it just seemed like it would be hard to build a life with, that ultimately what we wanted out of life was probably too different. Mm. And not even meaning like where you want to live or career, but just the type of person you are and what makes you comfortable and and what kind of things you like to do for fun and and all these things that were a long-term emotional incompatibility that I think for a long time, those things were actually very attractive to me and exciting. And again, it goes back to that. Like, I'm attracted to this. I'm excited by it. That means I'm going to put everything into it and make the relationship last as long as it possibly can which is not a healthy thing, really. What's an example? Like, is there something that you're like, I remember this one thing that you're just like, oh my God, if that actually ended up being a life partner would never have worked. The Man of Dream Girl in particular, we were both uh, interested in writing and being comedy writers. And so there was a competitiveness mm, amongst mm-hmm. us. And in the beginning, that felt very exciting. Oh, we can like work on things together. And you, you think of these like dream power couples that are famous and mm-hmm. build things together and build empires and make things together. And it, wouldn't that be exciting? It would if it worked out. But I found that we had a sort of competition and we didn't see eye to eye creatively. Mm-hmm. We just had different taste creatively. Mm -hmm. It was always an issue. And now my wife is not a creative and she's just very supportive of everything I do. And and whether she's lying or she actually likes it, I don't know. And I kind of don't care. I just like that we're not (laughs) competing. And so there was just on both sides of that relationship, one of us would have a little success and you could tell the other one was a little bit like, why Mm, why not me? And it was never verbalized in that way, but I certainly felt it internally for me. And based on her behavior, I think it was happening for her too. We sort of didn't respect each other's creative style enough. It's sort of interesting that I think when I was younger, I was very obsessed with wanting to be with people who liked the things I liked to do or liked the shows or the mm-hmm. movies or the mm-hmm. music I liked. And mm-hmm. as I got older, and it's like a, a theme in High Fidelity, a book I really like a lot, is it's like, it doesn't matter what you like, mm-hmm. it matters what you are like. Do you get along with the person's mm-hmm. personality? Because ultimately, like, you can watch the movies you want, <laughs> they can watch the movies they want, and then we'll end up watching <laughs> The Bachelor together most of the time anyway. So who cares? Right. 
<laughs> but also it's a it's about a respect thing, right? Respecting your partner's interests and likes doesn't mean that you have to like the same things, but mm-hmm. you have to yeah. be on board with what what they like. And uh, you know, the way you're talking about these past experiences, it's nice from a lens of these weren't necessarily mistakes. It's like you almost had to go through this and explore these curiosities to know that these weren't things that worked for you. But you did get to a point, which is why you wrote the book, is you took a year off. And what do you think was it about that year off that really helped you reset? Um, so I've never been single, at least by choice, for much of my life. As you maybe remembers, I was very single in high school and afraid of girls. Yep. Then I got a girlfriend in college. <laughs> and from then on, I kind of pretty much had a girlfriend or was trying to get a girlfriend for the next 12 years of my life until the, the big breakup. And so the reason for taking that year off was I was like, I need a limiter on myself because I'm clearly, I wasn't capable of just liking someone and dating them and be like, ah, not the one I'm going to move on, even though this is a nice person. It was sort of all or nothing for me. And so I decided I'm just going to make a rule for myself that I can't be a boyfriend to anyone for a year. And I still wanted to date and do that, but I just was going to try to avoid being a boyfriend. And so I sort of wish I had, when I was younger, been okay with being single and not so in a hurry to find a partner because sometimes you just end up partnering up with someone. Everyone I dated, I really liked in the beginning and it like was good in the beginning, but just not being able to be okay with moving on or being single for a while or not prioritizing that. And so by forcing myself to prioritize it, it really helped me. A couple of good things that came out of it for me were one, I dated people that weren't someone I thought would be my type because I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I was just looking mm-hmm. for someone that would be interesting to hang out with for maybe it'd be a night or maybe it'd be three nights or maybe it'd be a few weeks. But that opened me up to both in terms of physical attraction and the type of lifestyle people were living. I would go on dates with people that I wouldn't think would be my type and, and found out that I wasn't always right about what my type was and that I also met mm-hmm. interesting people that were mm-hmm. sort of outside the sphere I would normally be dating because I wasn't taking it so seriously. And the other thing is I had a lot of nice connections, both emotionally and and sexually with people. And I came to realize when I was younger, it felt like so magical. Like if you have a good, fast connection with someone, a strong attraction, Mm -hmm. that means something very important. I mean, sometimes it does, but it doesn't always. Right. Sometimes it was just a fun night and you can go on with your life and you don't need to like make that into a relationship, especially in retrospect, as a married man now, I feel like that year was really important to me to understand like dating is fun, sex is fun. There's a lot of beautiful people in the world. But what I have with my wife is like very, very valuable and rare. Whereas if you go out into the world, you're going to meet people and have fun with people. And there's a lot of people you can have really fun nights with or weeks with or months with. And so that I got that out of my system. I don't like wonder, oh man, I wonder what it would be like to date a lot or to be single or it's like, yeah, I can date. There's people out there that are attracted to me and I'm attracted to them. And like that question was answered in a way. And and it allows me to just be happy about what I have in a marriage and understand that that is actually the rare thing. I love that because we see daters get into this like scarcity mindset. There's no one good out there. So when they Mm -hmm. do have that connection, grip it with all you have because you don't want to let it go. But being able to date, you were able to see there were many people you could form a connection with. But also I love that it did become abundantly clear when you met the right person. If you were to like redo that year again, knowing what you know now, is there anything different you would do? I felt like I was being honest about what I was looking for, but I got some feedback after the fact that people were not, did not feel that about they they were wanting something more serious. Mm. It was tough because I tried to not paternalize and I felt if I was just honest, I would accept what people said to me. But there was a couple instances where I could tell in their behavior that they were probably getting more emotionally invested than I was. And I felt like because I'd been honest, Mm. I didn't have to go further than that, that there's a couple of relationships I probably should have cut off 
sooner just because I was like, should have said, you know, I think you're getting more invested in this than I am and I'm going to move on or, or whatever, however I would term it, but taking a little bit more of a responsibility for seeing that in the other person. And then it's hard. If someone says they're okay with a casual thing. You don't really want to call them a liar or say they don't know themselves. There became gray areas when I would see people right. for a while where yeah, based on behavior, it's like, I don't think this is casual for them anymore. But hey, I said I didn't want something serious and they said that was okay. So I don't like, and then there's like, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I read your book and it's always very flattering as an author, but there's part of me that cringes because I'm like, oh, I like tried to be very honest <laughs> yeah. in that book. And there's some behavior in that book that as a 42 year old married father, I'm like, oh, boy, that's like cringy, you know? And I think that everyone like has dating experiences they cringe about now, even if you didn't like do anything wrong, you're just like, oh, I was like kind of a jerk or kind of pathetic or whatever the case may be. There's all those little like hindsight is 2020. I would have not done that this night or I wouldn't have called that girl three times when she didn't call me back or whatever it was. I sometimes joke that I think everyone should write uh, a tell-all memoir about their dating life because uh -huh. I like started, my wife read it, which was very, very stressful. Uh -huh. It was at the beginning of our relationship, but now I have no secrets and like there's nothing from my past she does not know in the world as well, I guess. And so there's something freeing about not having secrets to keep. So my cringe is all out in the world. There's nothing left to worry about being cringed out about. Everyone knows. Was there something specifically that you were just like, oh, I really... Yeah. <laughs> wish like you know as a father I didn't do or that you worried that your future wife would see the stuff that I stressed about my wife reading was more you know I had a really nice relationship with some women in the book and particularly talking about even though it was a breakup when a breakup hurts a lot it's because you love someone a lot so she had to read a chapter about yeah. how much it hurt for someone else to break up with me and what that relationship meant and sex with other women so that stuff I don't really cringe. I don't really want her to read it again, but that was the stuff I was most nervous about the first time. <laughs> the other part of it is just, uh, it's very like a memoir is by definition confessional and self-facing. Sometimes it feels like someone is reading my diary and I don't, like most of us don't want mm. people to read the diary. <laughs> Obviously I put it out into the world on purpose. No one found it under right. my mattress, but 10 years <laughs> later, I'm not a single guy. I don't date a lot. I don't party as much, you know, I'm just at home with my kids and that's kind of my life. And so yeah. it's not that I'm ashamed of my past, but it's very much the past for me. Whereas when someone reads the book, there's part of me that's like equating the exact person I am in that book to who I am now. Um, and, and neither one is bad, but they are very different. You know, as you said in the beginning, it's a seasons of life. I'm in a very different season. So, and they, you know, I talk about Burning Man and drug use in that book, which in general, I'm not ashamed about. But every now and then you're like, well, I don't know if everyone needs to know about that. They might judge me in a way that I'm not interested in at this particular time in my life. A cousin of mine has a 17-year-old son, and he texted me, and I never text with the son, like I see him at family gatherings, but he said, <laughs> I'm going through a rough breakup, so my dad said I should read your book. So, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's different. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, he said it really helped him. He liked it a lot. He was like, I guess it was the right book. You seem to be an expert in getting broken up with, which I don't know if is a good title <laughs> to be proud of. We all come with a past and the people we date now, especially as we get older in dating, you're going to expect a longer past mm -hmm. from the people you date. So how much, like just from your own personal experience, how much of your past should inform your current partner of how they feel about you. And I guess another way of asking this question is after your wife read your book, was she hung up on anything? Uh, I think nothing became a major issue, but there was a few conversations 
where I really had to express that this person that broke my heart, I'm truly over them. Like if they had come even, you know, 10 years ago, the beginning of my relationship with my wife, if that ex had come and said, I want to try again, I would have said like, no, I like have learned that we're not a good match. And at the time I didn't believe it and I didn't want it. And my heart was broken. But in retrospect, after healing, I like, I understand this is not the relationship for me. That would be my response. And so that was the only thing where she's like, wow, if this person hurt you that much and it was their choice to end the relationship, is there, you know, part of you somewhere deep down that, you know, wishes you were still with them or could get back in them? But I could understand why she would think that. It's easier to accept when your mm-hmm. current partner broke up with the last person than if they were broken up with. There's still part of you that's like, wow, it wasn't your choice. Like, if it was your choice, you'd still be with that person. You wouldn't be with me, which, like, that's not really how life mm. works, but it's easy to go to that right. place. So I think that was the biggest thing from reading it that for her, she was hung up about. So you and your wife met in college. You said that you were always in relationships. Was there ever a time that you were single and there was some romantic chemistry attraction or what was kind of like your past with her and like what changed when you met her the second time around or like reconnected in a way that made it a relationship? In college, we were truly acquaintances. Like there's a long time where we were both in the same communications school at the same big university. So we saw each other around. I don't think I ever had a class with her. My biggest memory of her from college was she was editing a student film with my girlfriend at the time. I mm. started dating someone two months into my freshman year of college. We agreed we were not going to stay together after college, but we stayed together until literally the day we both went to the airport and flew home wow. at the end of college because we wanted to just be together and be with all our friends and everything. In my head for a long time before I knew her name, she was hot Spanish girl. She was Spanish and she was hot. Um, <laughs> you, know, you have little names for people you see around campus that you don't actually know, but you like recognize each other, maybe not each other. Yeah. When I got to LA, we were in each other's sphere because of mutual friends from college and she dated a guy that became a very good friend of mine when I moved to LA. He was an acquaintance like her in college, but I became friends with them when we lived in LA. We lived near each other and and liked each other a lot and hung out a lot. And they had dated at some point in college. They'd broken up long ago, but stayed friends. So sometimes she would like be at group dinners with him or parties or whatever. There was a couple of years where, again, I I found her attractive. I always enjoyed talking to her, but I was in a relationship and she was usually in a relationship. And so there was never, and I only saw her like two or three times a year at a party. So, you know, one of those people like, oh, that person's, I like them. I'm attracted to them. So what truly changed it was we were both single at the same time and we started hanging out a lot. And there was a few months where because of our mutual friend, it felt awkward. We didn't want to get into it if it wasn't going to be serious. And then eventually it was clear that this, we were really, really drawn to each other and really enjoyed each other's company. And having come out of my, it was at that point, I'd said I'd be single for a year, but at this point it was almost, it was over two years. I'd had one short little relationship, but Mm. I felt like I really had a a handle on what I wanted in a partner. And she seemed to, to check all the, the boxes and seems I was right at the time. I was like, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong again. again." We always like convince ourselves in the beginning of a relationship, like I've fixed every error I've made in past choices. Like this is the one. And then it seems I was right. And then, so we we started dating and four months later we got married. I often equate dating to stargazing. The stars are always in the sky, Mm -hmm. but you don't always see them because of pollution, where you're at, light pollution, you're in a big city. So when you're in a clear sky area, you get to see the stars. Dating is sometimes like that. Like a person could have been in your life for a long time and you didn't see them in that way till things cleared. So what was it about her other than you both being single at the same time? What was it about (laughs) your current wife that you thought, "Ooh, I finally see the star in a romantic way? Yeah, I think that 
Part of it was I just finally got to know her as a person. She stopped being hot Spanish girl and became Laura, a person that I really <laughs> liked talking to and flirting with. But I think I was very ready for a serious relationship because I'd been single for two years. I, I felt like I had sort of figured some things out about myself and what I wanted in a relationship. I'd also decided I'd come to the end of wanting to date casually. I was interested in a serious relationship again. And, and this time it, it felt like by choice as opposed to by default, which it had been for most of my 20s. And I would guess that she sensed that. You know, I think the the flip side of my, I really enjoyed my two year single and it was very fun and in ways like easy, like this is before apps. I, I use the old fashioned website, OkCupid, but I found that it was a pretty nice guy who would answer texts and had a job. Like I was, could find women in their early thirties that wanted to date me pretty easily. And I know that sometimes on the other side for, for women in that early range, it feels like all the guys are like this one who doesn't want a girlfriend, who just wants to be single, who I can't count on. And so when I met my wife, she at least believed and could tell that I was ready to actually commit and to, to build a life together if, if that's how it worked out for us, which is what I truly felt at the time myself. So when I met my partner, like I think for me, one of the biggest things that shifted was the qualities that I was looking for. And you alluded to that too, that it started to become more clear to you in that time dating. Like for instance, consistency became at the forefront for me. And that was something I never paid attention to before. It was always the chemistry and are they funny and the list of things that you're told make someone desirable. Was there anything for you that became more front and center? that maybe hadn't been as prominent in the past. Yeah, she was a very, and still is, uh, she's a very responsible person who's very successful in her career. She was like a VP at the company at a very young age that she worked at at the time. She owned her condo because she immigrated here from Spain. She went to film school and then she came to LA. She was like, I can't build my career through freelance because I'll have to leave the country. So she went mm. into a real career, which in I think some ways was sad for her, but she did really well. She was a very responsible person. A lot of her family was still back in Spain. And so she... There'd been many relationships where I felt like I was the rock, the stable one. I think I even, mm. I really liked that feeling. And with my wife, mm. I was very attracted to the fact that she was also very stable. I felt like mm. if I have a moment where I can't be the rock, she will be the rock. Right. And I think she felt that likewise, that mm -hmm. we can be stable for each other. And between the two of us, like one of us will be stable because life has its ups and downs and not everyone can be like stable and secure and confident at all times. But between the two of us, one of us probably will be and we'll hold it together. And so going back to the thing, you sometimes are attracted to the thing that's not good for you. I think in the past I was, I liked, it made me feel good to be the stable one, to be the rock, right. to be the, right. the one that was there for the other person. I, I think that's mostly a positive trait to want to be there for your partner, but sometimes it's okay with a partner to be like, I'm carrying too much emotional weight mm -hmm. in this relationship or logistical weight or financial weight or whatever it is. And sometimes I think I was proud of that when it really was like not a healthy dynamic for me or the relationship in the long run. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. 
and feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, Nina's gonna learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been married for 10 years now. Being with someone for this long, and then now we're bringing you back to your past (laughs) in this conversation. What are some of the biggest learnings you've had since being married for this long? And you even said there's something really unique and magical about marriage. So what have you learned? I feel like we have a very happy, special marriage, which I hope everyone feels about their marriages. But I think in other relationships, I've creeps into your mind as either a fear or a hope that it will end someday. Mm. And I don't ever have that feeling with my wife. I've not had it for one Mm. day where I've considered wanting out. And again, I think it goes back to having had this experience of being single. It's not because I don't think there are fun things out in the world for a single guy or different relationship. It's just I know it's not good enough to outweigh the benefit that I get from my marriage. So I think it's a very clear eyed like pros and cons to everything in life. But there's so many pros to marriage and particularly to my wife that I just never had that feeling of doubt about us or our marriage, which life is very long and hopefully will stay like that for a long time. But for now, I feel very happy about that. And I think both of us, we have complete trust in each other. We really have not had any wobbles in that. So that's a very good feeling to feel like this person really truly knows who I am and they've seen me at my worst and at my best and they are accepting of it all. I think part of it's marriage, but part of it is just time. It's by far the longest relationship I've ever been at. And it's very, it's, it's sort of the deepness that comes like with a friend that's known you for years. You're like, they know everything about me. Like for whatever reason, they still like me. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about them finding out something about me. And it's now I feel like that with my, my wife of like, there's not any surprises about me that will drive her away. Maybe I will change in some way that will drive her away eventually. But for now, like there's nothing going on. And, and because I wrote a whole book about it, nothing from my past that she doesn't know. And so I really like that. You know, I think that's the ideal in in a marriage and in any partnership is you feel like they know me truly who I am, warts and all, and they are accepting of it. And also going beyond, like, I don't think she thinks I'm perfect. Like she knows me too well (laughs) to think I'm perfect, but Mm -hmm. she's accepting beyond it. Because I think there's some relationships where like, this person thinks I'm perfect and they're so wrong. And as soon as they find out, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, Whereas after 10 (laughs) years of marriage, it's like, no, she doesn't think I'm perfect. She knows what my faults are better than anyone in the world. It's just she can live with those faults in a way that really works for us. I think what you describe is like this feeling of safety and security, which ultimately is what we all want from a partner. Yeah. But again, not at the forefront when we're dating a lot of the time. Like that's (laughs) not what we're really looking for. We talked about, you know, like what changed for you when you were dating and then meeting your partner. But now that you like have been married for 10 years, is there anything that you would prioritize when finding a partner like for instance we've heard other couples we've talked to say like the ability to do conflict well together is something that's really imperative for a long-term you know forever type relationship like is there anything else that comes to mind for you a few things is i really like hanging out with my wife. We would be friends. And in fact, we're friends before we dated. And I think it can be hard sometimes to go if if you're friends, but there's not an initial attraction. I don't know that you can ever get over that. But you also need to make sure it doesn't go the other way. I've dated people where I was very attracted to them. And we had something maybe we were even in love. But if I stepped back, oh, if I wasn't in love and having sex with the person, I don't think I would want to hang out with them at a party. And that's like a really bad Mm. sign, which it seems obvious and easy, but it's actually like very hard, I think, for some 
human beings to understand that there's a difference, that there's these two sides to it, that the plutonic side is really important for a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. That was a big thing for me is understanding the difference between romantic and sexual attraction and plutonic attraction and finding that in the same person in equal intensity is is sometimes a tall order, but very important. And particularly when you're young, the plutonic side doesn't seem that important to you sometimes because it's just, I don't know, it's a very different, it's different than a friendship. And the sex and the romance and the chemicals can cover up that lack of plutonic connection. I also think something that people are not good enough, and I wasn't, about moving on quickly is like, does this person make your life easier? You know, Mm. if someone, Mm. you know, it can be very easy if someone's struggling with mental health or their career or they're financially a mess to be like, well, those are shallow reasons to not be with someone. Like, is my life really hard and complicated and full of drama because of this person I'm dating? Then maybe I shouldn't be dating him. That can be a tick in the con Mm -hmm. box. And I'm not saying if you're with a long-term partner and they're struggling with a mental health issue that you should abandon them. But early on in a relationship, some of these things, it can be a reason to move on and, and really, particularly when you're young, but in general, you should kind of be looking for a reason to move on. Mm-hmm. I think you hear a lot about people say, my problem is I, my standards are too high. I think a lot of people's problem is their standards are too low. And I don't mean like... Yeah, I agree. Mm. agree. A hundred percent. But your standards for the connection, the relationship itself should be higher. So it's not about judging this person. They're lacking my standard. It's just like, mm-hmm. how are you being treated? How do you feel on a day-to-day basis? Yes. If it's not like majority positive, you should probably move on and have higher expectations. And so I see many more people that are in relationships where I'm like, I don't think you're ever happy in this relationship based on how you talk about it. So like, why are you in it? But yes, like loyalty is not staying in something that's unhealthy. You know, love is not does not mean you stay with someone no matter what. That's actually like a pretty unhealthy dynamic. You hear this phrase, relationships are hard work. Yeah. In some ways they are. And, you know, especially as we add kids and mortgages and you get older and parents are like, there is a lot of hard work. But when someone's like three months into a relationship, they're like, well, it's not going that well, but relationships are hard work. I'm like, it shouldn't be at three months. It's pretty easy and fun at that point. Like that might be the sign to move on. But it's such a phrase that people really latch onto and they use it to justify any sort of negativity in a relationship is well, I just need to work harder. And it's like, I don't know, sometimes like, you know, if you have a job and it makes you unhappy every day, it's okay to look for a new job sometimes. This is resonating too much. Like I just remember always feeling like things were just so hard with my ex, like so hard all the time. Mm -hmm. Yet I stayed to try to like make it work and push through because that's what love was and love conquers all eventually it'd work out. And then like when I met my current partner, it just felt so different. I had nothing to talk about with my friends all of a sudden (laughs) because it was easy. And I think that is something that's so like underrated when you're looking because like you said there are a lot of like hard parts of life but that doesn't mean like your relationship should be part of that that should be like the person that makes it easier and supports that yeah you're just basically describing the paradox of dating why people are so unhappy and broken in dating is on one hand they say they're picky and their standards are too high yet they settle for douchebag behavior, bad dating behavior, because someone met all of their checklists, Mm -hmm. external superficial checklists, but aren't treating them right. The other paradox is relationships are hard. And then people then take that and then say, well, I'm trying my best to make this relationship work. Again, settling for less than behavior. So there's just a lot of that because we're fed with all these messages about how you should do relationships when nobody's like really stepping back and being like, how do I want to do a relationship? Am I happy? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild thing. And there's a, I think, a dynamic for, especially, I think the women are like, this guy secretly wants to settle down and be with me because he says he's in love with me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to help him mature and to, yes. to fix him. Yes. I can change him. And sometimes that happens, <laughs> but usually it's yep. more like, oh, that guy wasn't the right guy for you, or he wasn't ready to be in what you wanted him to be in. And you spent two years trying to fix him and probably fixed him for the next person he'll date because he just wasn't ready with you. And that's can be okay. It's just, again, going back to my issues, like you just need to call it earlier. And when you see like, yep. you find someone that's ready and quote unquote fixed and you're not, it's not a fixer upper. Yeah. If I was to redo one thing in my dating life, it would have been that to leave people when we weren't on the same page instead of trying to think that I can change them mm -hmm. and make them into who I want them to be. And ironically, a lot of my exes are still single. Like they didn't, I didn't even fix them <laughs> for the next person. They just were never going to get fixed. <laughs> Like, yeah it was never gonna happen because that's not what they wanted right right yeah fixed sounds pejorative but yeah some people it's like <laughs> i don't want that relationship or i don't want it now there's not the right partner there's not the right self-help book there's just like ultimately they don't want that or it's not a good fit for them right and it's so much easier to like be someone that wants to be with you than like someone that you're like constantly trying to like right. pressure into this one of the uh, the things that was like an emotional anchor for the the essay I wrote about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl was this line um, that feelings are never wrong. Mm -hmm. And so what it meant to me with that girl, especially in retrospect, it was clear for six months she didn't want to be with me and was like, just couldn't pull the trigger because I treated her well. There was like the tangible reasons I hadn't done anything wrong. She was falling out of love or over it or whatever the case may be, but she didn't know how to extricate herself. And so I could feel that, but I would mm. I was basically trying to explain to her why these feelings were wrong of like, well, it's just this, it's just that, we'll fix this, we'll do this. And ultimately, like I had to understand, it's like her feelings aren't wrong. I can't explain away her feelings. It right. doesn't mean they're fair or rational, but feelings aren't fair or rational. They're just, they're what we feel. And I think a lot of us do that where you're like, this person feels this, but it's wrong. It's because of their past. It's because of right. some yeah. mental health issue. It's because right. of addiction. It's because of work stress. There's all these other reasons beyond just like, they don't love yep. me. I'm going to find every other reason under the sun beyond yep. they just don't love me to explain why they feel this way. And usually that's just a fool's errand. And you know, you just need to accept when people tell you what they feel. It's like, well, yep. okay. Like I can't really change that. No one can change that. Also, something yeah. I had to accept is like they can love you and still not want to commit to you. Like those two mm -hmm. aren't always exclusive either. Yeah. And that's not the partner you ultimately want to be with. Yeah. And I think the other the person that doesn't want to commit often feels like I love you though. The love covers up everything and both sides like kind of believe that. Yep. Yeah. It all goes back to what you think love is, what you grew up with as a model of love. And for some people, many of us, we think that the quote unquote hard work, the going through all of that is love when it's just toxicity, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. And then, you know, similar vein, now that you're a dad, how has that changed the way you view love and relationships and how you present your relationship in front of your kids. It mainly makes you feel very high and mighty. When you see people without kids, you're like, you don't know what it's really like to be in a relationship. You guys could just walk <laughs> away and get divorced tomorrow. We got these kids. They're keeping us together forever. <laughs> you do think about, luckily, it's not like we had to change our behavior to model something good for your kids. But I do think about that, that the way they see us interact, like it makes them feel happier or sad. They're like very sensitive little creatures, even if they can't articulate it. And so I think in a healthy way, I think my wife and I are both very mindful of not undermining each other or bickering too much in front of the kids. We try to like 
say, you know, if we're disagreeing about something, save that for another time. I think both of us, our wife and I are both pretty good about like, when we come home, we're gonna, you know, hug and say hello. And I love you to all three, you know, it goes to the kids and it goes to the, the spouse and partner. Mm -hmm. we, we went away for two nights to Palm Springs to celebrate our 10 year anniversary. And that was the first time we'd been away, I think certainly since our second child was born, but maybe since the first. Wow. And so it's it's interesting trying to, your relationship becomes defined by these children and the care they need, especially at a young age. It's very like all consuming. And so that is the, the challenge is to make time for the two of us, which is the old cliche, but it literally felt like a different relationship when we were away just for two nights. And in a very positive, like, mm. it wasn't like, oh, it's bad when we're at home. It's just like, oh yeah, this is like- right. We had six years of just like traveling together and being together and we were our family. And that was really fun and nice. And so I was like, oh yeah, I love my wife. I love just hanging out with her. <laughs> like not just doing dishes together and cooking dinner and keeping these children who we love alive. But like, <laughs> so that's been a very interesting thing and just accepting the seasons of, of life and relationship. And it's not the first year where you're just traveling and going out to fancy dinners and doing all right. the, you know, the traditional romantic stuff. It's just a day to day. Sometimes it feels like survival with two small <laughs> kids, but, um, you know, we're in the foxhole together. So that mm. it feels good in the macro sense, even when in the micro, it's like, I really went out of this foxhole just for like 24 to 48 <laughs> hours. But Well, that's why it's so fascinating that we look for a life partner through a date lens and, you know, like the person that's fun and the going out together and the dinners and all the dates that we go on and the chemistry. And I was talking to like a girlfriend of mine who has two kids now and she's like clearly like as happy with the partner she chose but she's like I would have looked for such different things had I known all the responsibilities of having children mm. like someone that you know is holding an equal footing around household chores and some of that stuff like that wasn't even on my radar when I'm at that dinner like seeing if I have chemistry with this person <laughs> is there yeah. anything like knowing what you know now that you would be like yeah this is actually really important to kind of scope out early on yeah you should really just probably marry someone based on like a LinkedIn profile and uh, if they have a cleaning experience <laughs> in their background it would be good it is funny it's just your life becomes so different with kids and yeah the things you matched for are in a way irrelevant at least especially when they're very very young it's like it's like all right we don't care about how we look or what we do we just have to try to get some sleep and take care of these children that's kind of the we talk about the tangibles of like i don't know washing dishes or cooking or whatever it is but i think ideally you're just finding someone who's like willing to be there like you feel like they will be an equal partner. It goes back to that. Are they taking stress away from your life? Are they taking tasks away from your life? Are they adding to it in a general yeah. sense? Because if they're adding stress to your life when you've been dating for six months and have no kids, like the chances that that will change when you have really big responsibilities in the form of children, it's probably not the case. It probably will continue to, you know, you'll be, you'll say it's about the dishes, but truly it's just about like, we haven't figured out our, our partnership. The other thing that's at least good for us is in general, we don't try to split everything down the middle. Like we kind of each have our things we do mm -hmm. in the house. You know, I think we're both relatively okay with that and the, the assignments that we have. And so I think that's a big thing that I probably wouldn't have thought in the beginning is it's not about splitting everything equally. It's about is the overall split of mm -hmm. responsibility and energy equal. 
you feel supported and, mm, and like someone's like taking something off your plate you don't really want to do. And you're like, well, no one really wants to do dishes, but I don't mind doing this. I'll do this. Yeah, that's important. It's not just a date lens because I think in early dating, we don't talk about how people operate in a relationship. Yeah. We want to live in this fantasy of like dating forever. So I remember I used to be attracted to the person who lived a nomadic lifestyle, who was very adventurous, spontaneous. <laughs> but when it comes to a relationship, I sure as hell don't want all of that. Like that's the person who's going to ghost you the next day. So a question that all of us could be asking in early dating is, what are you like? How do you fill your free time? And then what are you like in a relationship? Yeah. What is your ideal yeah. way of operating in a relationship, right? I think a lot of people don't know. I agree. They're sort of doing what they think you're supposed to do, or they've never gotten deep into enough into a relationship. You know, it's fallen apart when they've moved from mm -hmm. dating to relationship. Mm -hmm. I hate referring to it as like life milestones, but for lack of better word, I guess that's what we'll use. But you know, you've done all the things. You've got a married, had kids. We have a lot of daters that are really struggling to like progress and move to these different milestones. What advice would you have for them if you're like in the thick of dating and you want this life? but you're nowhere close to it, knowing what you know now. Yeah, I think that I'll preface this by saying, I think dating, particularly in your 30s, is very different for men and women. So this may be frustrated for a woman to hear. But what was healthy for me was to not have an end goal orientation when I was dating, that I just wanted to have fun dating and meet interesting people. And that led to me not taking it so seriously, which I think ultimately got me to a place where I was ready for a relationship in a truly in a like, I want this. I've seen the other side, I've dated, I've had fun, I've done some partying, and now I want something stable and something serious and I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, and so I think that's true in life in general, but in dating, dating ideally is not miserable. And I know there's a lot of, particularly for women, there's a lot of men out there that make it feel very miserable, but part of it is about taking it so seriously. So it's, it's hard because you, you don't want to like date someone for three months and then find out they don't want kids or they never want to get married. And that's, if that's what you want, right. like that does feel like a waste of time, but also going out to, you know, like having a nice meal with a stranger, that magic of you didn't know this person an hour ago. And now like you're really infatuated with them. Like that can be really fun, even if that infatuation doesn't lead to a marriage two years from now. So easier, easier said than done, but having a more like, how can this be more fun for me if it's not fun now? Because I think that that is the way you can get to your end goal is if you're not quite so focused on it. Just understanding that everyone has their different milestones. Like I have friends that are still single. I felt like I got married at sort of an mm -hmm. average age, but if I'd stayed in the hometown where UA and I grew up, I would have been getting married late. And right. so like where you are, who you are, what your culture is, what social circle is, like these milestones are all very- No, Mazda, you'd be on your third marriage. <laughs> yes, I would, hopefully. That'd be, that'd be great. Really getting those milestones down. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, exactly. You get to do it three times. <laughs> yeah. This is the, I guess the recurring theme is just being okay with walking away from something mm -hmm. that isn't working. Because I think sometimes people get on this road yeah. and it's like a breakup makes me feel like I'm further back from my goal. But if you're on yes. a dead end road, yes. you're going to have mm -hmm. to go backwards eventually. Yep. And so you need to, if people could accept this road is a dead end, it's scary to get off this road. At least I can just keep walking on this road. I'm making progress. It feels like, but at a certain point you need to just accept, like, this is a dead end road. I need to go back to that last junction and like start walking on a different road. And the sooner you make that decision, the better you can kind of ultimately find the person that is the match for you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I love having this type of conversation because sometimes it's hard to see that people have gone through it 
themselves. Like I think a lot of times we see people that are married and have children. You're like, oh, dating was so easy for them. They just (laughs) made it work. And all of a sudden they got there. And I think a lot of times like people want to repress some of the stuff that happened. But luckily for you, you have a memoir that keeps you reminded (laughs) of it all day long, every day. But I think my biggest takeaway from this conversation is, you know, like every stage of life, there's things that are really wonderful in it. And we lose track of that because we're always trying to like move to the end, but having just the faith that it will work out the way it's going to work out and to kind of embrace all of these different stages. That's how you look back and like, say like, Oh, I actually have a life that was pretty freaking interesting. And it's good to look back and say like, I was really struggling back then, but I have the perseverance. I did the self work. I reflected, I tried something different, whatever it might be. And I was able to move out of that. That's so powerful. Like beyond dating, it just shows like how much as humans, we can act different and we can do things differently if we put our minds to it. So that's one major takeaway. I think my other one is like we really look for the wrong things in dating. Like that is so abundantly clear. And yeah. if you get every different milestone, it gets a little more clear of like what's needed. I'm not saying like you shouldn't be with someone that you're attracted to and you have fun with. Like we said, having your partner be your best friend is really freaking important and then when you're changing those poopy diapers like you want to be able to laugh with your partner like we're not saying don't do any of that but i think thinking about some of the characteristics that are often overlooked as boring like loyalty or reliability consistency like some of that stuff for years it just wasn't top of mind because it felt like oh that's not like what makes a attractive partner but that's the stuff that actually allows like the rest of the attraction to build because you're not constantly thinking about like how difficult this relationship is and feeling not safe and secure within it so we really need to like reframe and look holistically like if someone doesn't have every last thing you're looking for but they seem like a solid partner I say give it another shot. Of course, like if you're not like attracted at the slightest, like don't waste each other's time. But if there's like any curiosity there, like some of that stuff that you think is so important when you're dating, like might not end up being for the long haul. I love these retrospective conversations, especially with someone like Madison, because your life is so different Mm -hmm. now from when we spoke to you in 2016, is that it helps you group your learnings into two buckets. One is the learnings that I had to go through to learn them. Even if someone told me 10 years ago, you got to learn this stuff, you still have to go through them. And then the learnings that you wish you had known even then. Mm -hmm. So those are the learnings that you take for the rest of your life, regardless of what experience you have. So from this conversation, you had to go through the experience of those relationships, taking that year off, Burning Man, all of that. But the learning that I find to be the constant learning is, Throughout all of our life and our relationships, we just have to be responsible for ourselves. We have to advocate for ourselves and we have to take accountability for our own actions. Even in your stories about you know, in your year off and when you're dating the women, when you said you wanted things to be casual and you wish you had read the signs that they were getting serious, that's not your responsibility. That is the other person's responsibility to say, to advocate for themselves. I'm feeling more invested now? Are we still going down this path of casual dating? If we can all just speak up for our needs and also just know who we are and take responsibility for who we are, we would be in such a better place in all of our relationships. 
Because we spend so much time guessing what the other person's thinking, doing, wanting. We spend so much time trying to cater to other people or mold ourselves to other people. And at the end of the day, no one's happy because everyone's just not themselves. So I love this retrospective because end of the day, even in your marriage, as a father, as a husband, if you just take accountability for yourself, then you're in a much better place than you trying to please your partner, please your kids, please everybody around you or to mold yourself to be other people around you. So thank you for that. And that I'm going to take that advice for my own life. I mean, we both loved your book so much, like, because we were yeah. like in the thick of it back then. It was 2016 when we had you the first time. I remember just like reading it. And it's just such like a good, like, you know, beach read, park read, whatever, because it's like you see the reflection of yourself, but it's clearly like your memoir through your point of view. So it feels like you're like, oh, this character almost. And it's a really good way to just, you know, get lost in it, but then also have points of reflection. Good. Thank you. Yeah. I think the most rewarding thing about writing that book is when people would send me an email and I ended up like meeting some people that read the book at a bar, these guys that were just like, that was me, or I had that relationship or, you know, and yeah. some had found their way to happiness by that point and some hadn't. And so in, in either case, that was like the most rewarding part of it is when people are like, for better or worse, like that's me. Mm -hmm. Some women readers being like, I think I understand like the guy I'm dating better now or mm -hmm. this heartbreak that I went through. I get it from his point of view now in a way that I, I didn't before. So I'm always happy to hear that when, when people read, even if I'm cringing a little bit that you know too much about me. <laughs> well, it really hones the message of like, you're not starting over, you're starting with experience every time. And I think that is so important for people to hear because it's just like, it's evolving journey. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love, you know, I, I'm a writer and I've done storytelling. So I think about story structure a lot. And when you get to your, your partner that you stay with for a long time, it's like, oh, I have the happy ending and all that challenge. It feels like narratively it was leading me to being the person I needed to be yep. so that I could be the hero of my own story and find yeah. what I needed. But until you get to the happy ending, you know, that's the second act when everything's going wrong and the hero's struggling and everything's really hard and they're getting beaten right. up. Mm. It feels really crappy to be in the second act because you don't know that the happy ending will be there. But for most people, it is. Yep. And eventually all this stuff that just seems mm -hmm. like dead ends do feel like part of your story as opposed to like a story ending. It's like, oh, that was just a small chapter in my story. It wasn't the dramatic, exactly. traumatic ending of the story. And it didn't move on from there. That was just like the sad chapter before the happy chapters at the end. That's such a good note to leave on. That's mm. so important to remember. Yes. What a great, beautiful metaphor. It's like everything we're doing right now is to build up to where you're supposed to be. So enjoy writing these chapters. Wonderful to see you. Wonderful to have you back. Wonderful to hear your voice. It's been so long. We'll link the book and hopefully you'll see another spike in your book sales <laughs> after yeah. this episode comes out. Get that Such dateable a great bump. Book. Sounds good. Keep us updated on all of your projects. We love to hear what's going on. For all of our listeners, we really appreciate your rating and review and Apple Podcasts. You can just go, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review and write something lovely in there, a little love note or something for Madison. We love to relay that message onto Madison as well. So we really appreciate those ratings and reviews. It helps us get wonderful guests like Madison here. And we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay, Stay dateable. dateable.
The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable. Bye.